Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. I know I always encourage you to listen to previous episodes, but these episodes with Keith Black Trudeau, the Pistons historian, are ones you have to check out. If you have the time, go listen to the two-part episode 35 first, and then check out episode 49, which just dropped at the beginning of the week. If you have any interest in the history of this Pistons organization, the bad boys, the going-to-work Pistons, or anything else, those episodes pretty much have you covered. But today, guys... Guys, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by a couple Pistons fan that mean a whole lot to me, Wes Davenport and at Pistons Fanalist. Wes, welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast. Yeah, thanks, Bryce. I'm uh, so excited to be here. This is awesome. No, I'm excited to have you at Pistons Fanalist. Um, just so the listeners know, I'm going to refer to him as PF because he wants to keep it his Twitter handle. But welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast, my friend. Thank you so much. So happy to be on. I've enjoyed all your breakdowns that you've been posting. I'm excited to have a conversation. Absolutely. So before we get this going, I want to explain real quick why these guys are on the episode for episode 50 and they mean so much to me. A couple months ago when my host Vlad Moldovanu decided he could no longer continue with this passion project, I was unsure what to do. I tweeted about it and these two guys both reached out, DM'd me out of nowhere and offered to come on as co-hosts. And guys, I cannot tell you how much it meant to me that two fellow Pistons fans thought enough about Motor City Hoops, they'd be willing to reach out and wanna be a part of what I was doing. As you know, I ultimately decided to go with the guest each week route, um, at least for now, but I really wanted to give these guys a chance to come on and talk some Pistons with me, and I was hoping episode 50 would make that even more special and show each of them how much I appreciate them. So with that said, Wes, PF, thank you guys so much. You appreciate it. I'll always have a special place with you guys at Motor City Hoops, but let's get to talking Detroit basketball. Last Friday, Sekou Dumbuya gets traded along with Jalil Okafor to the Nets. Wes, why don't you start us off? What did you think about that trade? What were your initial reactions? Yeah, um, so, you know, if I'm forced to get positive, on it, you know, I think uh, the four second round picks was actually a pretty decent get, uh, especially if, you know, they thought that uh, it was time to move on from Sekou anyway, uh, especially getting Detroit's own second round pick back. Uh, that could be pretty good. Uh, but I was not a big fan of the trade in general, and that's more just because uh, coming back out of out of France on his uh, in the draft, you know, I know a lot of uh, draft Twitter thought he was probably a second contract guy. You know, if you're gonna draft sick, you need to be patient so he could hit his stride kind of in that second contract. And I still believe that. I still viewed him as very much a prospect with a, a fairly high ceiling. Um, so. 
You know, I, I thought giving up on him after two years was kind of a poor decision. And I know this Yakum comp gets uh, thrown around a lot, and I was never a big fan of it. But if we're going to use it, uh, Seiku is, what, 20? He'll be 21 in December. And Siakam was, I think, about 24 when he finally took off. So I really thought that uh, Seiku probably needed some more time and that he's got a lot of potential. So honestly, this is one of those that I think in, you know, maybe five years we look back and we're disappointed and we can't believe we, we traded uh, Seiko. I'm not saying he's going to be that type of guy that we have all that regret about, but I think of all the players so far that uh, Troy Weaver's moved, he's probably the most likely to be it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I wanted to see at least another year of, of Seiko, at least one year, if not half a year. Um, PF, what did you think about that? Do you share Wes's sentiment? Were you a little upset? I don't know if upset's the right word. I think a lot of Pistons fans were just disappointed. They thought maybe we knew this was going to be a long-haul project with Seiko. Maybe it just comes down to the fact that it wasn't Weaver's guy and Weaver doesn't have the same vision for Seiko. But PF, what did you think about trading Seiko and even touch on the haul that we got back in that trade? Yeah, to be honest, I I was a fan of the move. Um, I I understand Seiko's a project and he has a lot of potential, but I think there's just so many parts of his game that he needs to improve on in order to be a solid contributor uh, for our aspirations as a team, ideally a solid contributor on our playoff team. Um, And I think what we've seen from Troy Weaver, he doesn't exactly have a lot of patience um, so I don't think we would have ever provided the right developmental context for Seiku to reach his potential here. So I think, I honestly think it's good for Seiku to hope, ideally move on to a place where that could be better for his development. Um, I'm, I was surprised to see the four seconds come our way and then I realized that we're eating DeAndre Jordan's contract. Uh, so I think most of our value came from that. I'm, I'm happy with the second round picks. I feel like you know, every year the drafts get better and better and there's always quality talent uh, that just trickles into the second round or we can always pack a, package a couple seconds to move up. Like this year, Sharif Cooper uh, somehow fell all the way to Atlanta um, and I feel like he was a steal for them. So I'm a fan of grabbing those, steal, uh, grabbing those second round picks and hopefully nabbing a steal in the future on a rookie skill contract. No, that's a great point with Sekou that maybe this ends up being what's best for him, you know, and and, and I've talked about this before on previous podcasts about doing right by guys like Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose. And I know those, those were guys in completely different parts of their careers. But if Sekou really wasn't in the plans, maybe this development project type player wasn't what Troy Weaver, Dwayne Casey and, and the staff and the organization wanted, then maybe it was the right move to just move on from him and let him go get, you know, start fresh somewhere else. Now, I don't know if Brooklyn's the right place for that or not. It's remained to be seen, but you know, that's a great point. I really seeing it from Sekou's side, PF, that's a great point to bring up. Um, real quick, I just want to talk on the four position in general, because I really thought that Sekou was going to get those backup four minutes. So Wes, I'm going to start with PF here and then I'll come to you. Just kind of real quick, PF, who do you think gets those backup four minutes um, now that Sekou is no longer with the Pistons? I honestly think it might be Trey Lyles. Um, I think he's an acquisition that we've mostly forgotten about. Um, I think he'll get the minutes early on in the season just because he is a veteran. Uh, he has been around the league for a while. Um, I'm assuming Kelly Olynyk will be our backup five, so he'll bring a lot of spacing. Um, and what, what we've seen from Lyle is that he has a pretty distant feel of the game, and hopefully he'll be able to uh, play off of Frank and Hammy and 
uh, Josh Jackson fairly well. I think as the season goes on, we'll likely see some lineups where Olenek is actually the four, playing off of Luke Garza. We might see some Isaiah Livers minutes, um, but I think it's more likely that we go extra small and with that second unit uh, just to play with some speed and change up the pace. Interesting. I, I don't know that that's a answer that a lot of fans are going to be happy with. I know Trey Lyles signing wasn't very well received initially. So, uh, Wes, is it Trey Lyles? Um, we've talked about before, I've talked about before, uh, Josh Jackson playing the, some minutes at the four. Isaiah Livers gets brought up a lot. I know we don't know, have a no, excuse me, don't know a lot about his injury right now. Um, but what do you see in those backup four minutes, Wes? Yeah, I mean, it has to be Trey Lyles, right? I mean, they don't really have anyone else uh, at that four spot. And, you know, at least to start the season, too, like like PF said, Lyles, he's a vet. Uh, he knows how to play, and he does have a pretty good jumper, uh, so that could help with some of the spacing. And I also have seen some uh, thought that maybe Josh Jackson can get it, but, you know, he's, at least historically, he's, he hasn't been strong enough to hang with the four. So maybe he had a great offseason and uh, moved a lot of weight, gets a lot stronger, and he can prove me wrong. But, you know, at least uh, looking back on his career, I wouldn't say he'd be able to play at that four spot. Um, I do wonder if maybe Dwayne Casey can get a little bit creative here. Uh, we had talked, uh, well, not we, but fans have been looking at, you know, Cade and Killian and seeing if maybe there's a way to swap Cade or Killian as the backup point guard uh, for large chunks of minutes. And I kind of wonder if he can take the same approach with Sadiq and Jeremy Grant. You know, maybe have Sadiq and Jeremy Grant both starting, pull Sadiq Bay early and then have him be the, the backup for uh, for some bench minutes for some stretches. I, I think that's a really good point. You guys have both brought up some really good points and I think some options we're definitely going to see. I really like that uh, idea, one with Killian and Cade, um, but also with Sadiq Bay and Jeremy Grant. I, I see Sadiq Bay as more of a 3-4, like a small forward power forward than a small forward shooting guard. And so I wouldn't mind seeing him get some minutes in that with that second unit um, as the four man. You brought up Jeremy Grant. So let's start with him whenever we're talking about expectations so this next little segment, I guess, we're talking about expectations for players in this upcoming season. So let's start with Jeremy Grant since we mentioned him. I feel like he kind of hasn't been talked a lot about this summer, guys, this offseason. There's been so much else going on, obviously, with Cade, signing Kelly Olynyk, the development of other guys. What are your expectations? And I'll start with UPF with Jeremy Grant. Do you think he has another step in his game? Do you just want to see him kind of be the same player? Is he going to be an all-star? Like, what do you kind of see um, from Jeremy Grant? Or what do you want to see from Jeremy Grant this season? I think I really want to see Jeremy uh, continue a lot of what he did last year, but ideally give up some of the more late shot clock situations to Cade or to Killian. Um, and just distribute that more with the younger guys. Uh, I thought he was great last year for us. I'm excited to see him play next to K. Just I think we're going to be able to get him great shot opportunities. Um, I think where he struggled the most and where we struggled a lot as a team is in those late so- shot clock situations when he was playing iso ball. Um, as much as he's improved as a scorer, that's still not a strong point in his game. Um so I don't know if I have like all-star level expectations uh, for Jeremy Grant, but I still think he's going to be a very high level contributor for us on both sides of the ball. And if he was to take a next step in his game, I think he'll actually be working out of the high post a little bit more um, and putting his back to the basket. Like He is fairly agile, fairly quick, um, and he has that length and strength where he can create opportunities for mismatches. 
Um, so I think I would like to see him be more comfortable there and create opportunities because I think he can definitely, you know, attract a double team and create better shot opportunities for others if he was, um, yeah, attacking out of the post instead of going ISO on the elbows. No, you bring up a really good point, PF, again, and it's something I've talked about since we knew we were going to get Cade Cunningham is getting rid of, taking him out of those late shot clock, late game clock into the fourth, you know, into the game. You know, I know he hit some big shots, but I just think that's where it's going to be Cade time. You know, like Cade, you know, had the most clutch points in college basketball last year. And I don't know that Jeremy Grant is really comfortable in that role yet where where Cade is. And I think long term, it's probably going to be more of a Cade thing, a Killian thing, some of the young guys and so I would like to see him give that up as well and see it be more for Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes and some of the other young players on the team but Wes I want to touch on something a little different here with Jeremy Grant what do you think what's your opinion on Jeremy Grant long term there's been a lot of talk about flipping him for assets and is he part of the the long-term future is he part of this core that's going to grow into hopefully a championship contender what's your opinion on that as a Pistons fan because I know I see a role for him doing that um, even as maybe he starts to decline just a little bit I think he could still be a great role player for this this team Um, but what do you think the the Pistons should do should they you know hang on to him or kind of strike while uh, uh, you know his uh, his value is at the highest. Yeah, honestly, I would love to keep Jeremy Grant long term. I mean, he seems like a great locker room guy. He plays hard. Um, he you know knows how to actually. He's really got a good feel on the court, and he really knows how to be a successful second or third banana. Especially going back to his time in OKC and Denver. Um, but you know, I kind of had this question. I've been thinking about a little bit. Is it possible and? A couple of years, Jeremy Grant actually might want out. I mean, he signed in Detroit uh, for more of an increased role. And, you know, in the future, if Cade really hits off, becomes a star, and he's the, the top guy on the team, they make a move for another star player to, you know, help help him out there. And Jeremy Grant then essentially would go back to the same role he had in Denver and OKC, being that third banana. And that's kind of what he wanted to get out of. So I almost wonder if we hit a point where he might ask to move on uh, if that sort of situation comes up. I'm just hoping the timelines end up fitting where he can play this number one, number two role while we're still developing guys, while Cade's really getting comfortable with that role until we bring in that number two guy, which we will talk a little bit later about the what in the what if segment. But I think that fits him for the next few years and the Pistons need him to do that because I don't know that he's a championship you know, number one, number two, maybe even number three guy. And then whenever those guys are ready to take on those roles, then he'll probably be at the point of his career where maybe he's ready to fall back into what you talked about, Wes, kind of the role he's played with other organizations and the the earlier in his career. But we've talked a lot about Cade Cunningham already. So PF, I'm going to go with you first. Obviously, something Pistons fans are extremely excited about. I thought he was as advertised in Summer League. I don't know how you guys felt, but what are your expectations for Cade Cunningham this year, PF? I mean, you can go the stats route. You can go awards if you think you want to see Rookie of the Year, if that's your expectations. what what Deep down, like at the heart of it, what do you want to see from Cade Cunningham? How would you quantify that? Yeah, so I was also very, very happy with the Summer League performance. Uh, I think he again like you said he was as advertised um i'm an educator by profession so for me i value the process more than like the actual awards at the end of the season or like what stats he ends up with um and to be quite honest like if if he continues what we saw from summer league you know being able to make his create his own shots 
uh, and make those opportunities when the situation arises, being able to distribute to teammates um, and just quite honestly be comfortable being a three-level scorer, I think we're going to be over the moon happy. Uh, my only concern, and this is a thing with all rookies that I won't, I don't have any long-term concerns about, but I think uh, something that we should prepare for is that he'll probably struggle finishing in the paint early on in his career, um, at least like to start off the season as he gets acclimated to the size, strength, and speed of NBA defenders. Um, but I'm I'm very very excited to see him play. Um, for expectations, I think I I hope that by the end of the season, um, especially if we're nearing like that post All Star break stretch, uh, I would really like to see him feel very comfortable as the number one option leading the offense in our half court sets. Um, and just, yeah, those late shot clock situations that we talked about and just being comfortable and ready to be our leader. No, I love it. You bring up a really good point, and it's something I didn't really anticipate, and maybe I should have, but uh, you're right. He's going to struggle in the lane. You saw it in Summer League when I did one of my breakdown after game one. I kind of highlighted it. Like, he just, you, defenders are able to push him off his track. You know, like, he just doesn't have the strength and the, and, um, the weight yet to really stay there. You know, I think he's going to have to develop a really good floater. I think he's going to have a good post game eventually, but he's just going to have to bulk up a little bit. But I, I think we sh- that's something we should anticipate the thing is all the other stuff is even better than than what i thought the shooting guys pf west is is high level man like yeah. it's, it's the space it, creation too oh my gosh yeah the, the the people worried about him playing off ball like you may worry that that doesn't suit his overall strengths but Cade cunningham is going to be fine playing off ball the way he shoots like I would be surprised if he doesn't shoot high 30% from three this year. I don't know how you guys feel. So, Wes, what, what's your overall expectations for Cade Cunningham this year? And, and, and again, you can go the stat route if you want to throw out some stats or awards or like PF said, just in terms of what you want to see throughout the process. No, I, I agree with everything PF said, and uh, especially just now with all the, the shooting and everything outside of his uh, strength and ability to, to finish at the rim has been, I mean, like, like you said, even even better than advertised. I, I do kind of think he looks leaner uh, than he did at Oklahoma State, which was interesting. Uh, to, that was one of the first things I noticed uh, at Summer League. But in, in terms of expectations, uh, I think it was – Laz Jackson on one of his podcasts right after the lottery, he mentioned uh, he's most excited about the intangibles of what a really high-level court mapper can can bring to the team. And you know, I think I'm just really looking forward to seeing more uh, more plays like uh, in summer league where uh, Kate he ran ahead on the floor on on the fast break. He told Seku to pass it over to Sadiq, and then he sealed off his low man to create a space uh, in the lane for an and one. And just the the high-level feel uh, that he has and the leadership ability he has to get people in the right spot, I'm just really excited to watch not just Cade, but Killian, too, does that a lot. So now we got two players that really do that at a high level, and I'm so excited to watch that. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you with him looking a little bit more lean in the summer league. Um, that was something I didn't anticipate uh, as well, but I'm also hoping that he remains aggressive on his attempts in the paint. And I'm, if there is like one number thing I'm looking for, I will be looking for uh, at least an average free throw rate. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, that, that was one thing that was a little concerning, right, in summer league was just not getting to the free throw line. Neither, and that, I, I think if there's one concern with that backcourt in general, at least for me, it's, you know, both of those guys really didn't get to the free throw line a lot. Um, you know, with Killian, I think it's a little bit um, shies away from contact. With Cade, again, I think it was just, you know, being able to take on contact. And maybe it was just summer league. We don't we don't have to overanalyze summer league, but I think it did show up real quick. So, um, Wes, any final thoughts on Cade before we move on to our next player? Uh, yeah, um, with with the free throw specifically, I, I just, uh, I've been thinking about it too because I really noticed – uh, like you guys had said, he struggled with the physicality in summer league. And what I think he shot one zero. Did he shoot any free throws in the summer league? Um, I I can't recall any. Maybe somebody listening, somebody listening will definitely correct us if we're wrong. But right. I don't necessarily, at least not like on a drive to the basket getting yeah. fouled. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Me either. No, I can't either. But in, in college, uh, I think he averaged about six free throw attempts a game. I I almost feel like we might just be overreacting to, to three games. It's the only bit of Cade Cunningham in a Pistons uniform we've been able to watch so far. And uh, I wonder if, you know, it was more just his adjustment uh, initially and to maybe playing off ball a little bit more. I'm not sure what it was, but he drew free throws fairly regularly in college. So I'm, I'm hoping that that translates. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. It was three games and, and who knows for sure. But um, I think I have no doubt that eventually it's something he will improve on. Um, so I, we have a few other guys we want to get to. So we may have to go a little quicker here, guys. Um, we're going to start off with Isaiah Stewart. Another guy, I'm not saying he wasn't talked a lot about this offseason, but maybe a guy that wasn't talked about as much, again, with Cade coming to town and the guys were re-signing and, you know, second round pick Luca Garza, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. But just, just quickly, Wes, I'll let you go and then we'll get to you. What, what what would you like to see most expanded in Isaiah Stewart's game? Is it the three-point shot? Is it being able to be a little bit of a playmaker in the Mason Plumley role of being a good passer in short roll situations, dribble at situations? Is it a rim protector? Um, what it is? What would it be with Isaiah Stewart for you, Wes? Uh, I want to watch the, the shot, but I'm not really expecting his percentage to go up. Actually, I, I'm kind of expecting it to go down a little bit. I want to see his shot volume be higher uh, and a little more consistent from three. Uh, as the season went on, his volume went up last year and his percentage dropped pretty proportionally uh, each month. And so I, I'd like to see just his volume stay up about the level it was uh, to end last year. But maybe if you could keep that percentage, you know, at 31 or 32 from where he was last year at 33 for the whole year, uh, I think that'd be a, a real big step to consistently be shooting you know, just over 30% from three all year on good volume. PF, what about you? What, what, what in Isaiah Stewart's game, you know, just if you could pinpoint one thing, you could give him one thing that definitely shows an improvement from last year, what would that be for you? For me, I think it would absolutely be the short roll passing um, and just work. And, like, there's a lot of times where he'll, like, catch a rebound, attract two or three people, um, and he'll, he'll have opportunities where we have open corner threes um, or – another pass to the top of key to just reset and try to get another good opportunity. And I think there's, there was times where he definitely last year, he just rushed some things. Um, and it like at all parts of his game improved last year. And like, I'm, I'm just so happy with how much he committed to just learning and developing throughout the season. So I have no doubt he's going to improve here, but I, I would love to see him become a more willing passer and recognize how his role gravity creates uh, great three point shot opportunities for others. 
No, that's a great point. I think he, the way he improved throughout the season maybe was the most impressive thing about him. And there's a lot of impressive things about Isaiah Stewart's rookie season, but like just the improvement in season was incredible. But I agree. I would like to see him be a little bit better of a passer. And maybe it was there, you know, his he just plays so fast anyway and so hard all the time. And that's what we love about him. Sometimes it's hard to slow down and just make the right decision under control. But I think that's going to be a huge part of his development. Um, I get lost sometimes in wanting him to be able to knock down that three-point shot but I think being that good passer in the short roll out of the double teams or often offensive rebound like you mentioned will be important as well so I want to continue to move on to a guy I'm really high on I don't know you know like I say you guys probably know this from listening to the podcast or seeing my tweets but Frank Jackson is a guy I love I really liked I know it was a small sample size to end the season but if, if he can shoot 40% from three I think he's a big time scorer off the bench I never think he's a I don't think he's ever turning into a starter but um, PF, I'll start with you. What do you think about Frank Jackson and just his potential role with this team just this season? I, I love him. <laughs> I love him a lot. I love him. I love his hair. I love how he plays. I love the effort. Um, I think he's a great fit on that second unit next to Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson. Um, I'm excited to see him play next to Kelly Olynyk and like having two lethal three-point shooters uh, with two lethal slashers is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think there's still a question mark in, in terms of like who who's that forward going to be that's playing alongside them, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's going to be a legit like like fan favorite, reliable bench scorer for us throughout the season. Uh, Wes, let's make it three for three, man. Do, do you have, do you share the love for Frank Jackson as me and PF? Oh, absolutely. I love watching him play. He's, he reminds me a lot of uh, younger Wayne Ellington, the way he can sprint off screens, plant his feet. And- get the shot up in a second uh I, I think that's really what what kind of sets him apart too a lot of guys are very good spot shooters but he can do it off the move and it's really fun to watch and i, I agree uh, off the bench having him as the lethal shooter and spacer and he can also take a couple dribbles and pull a mid-range jumper or finish at the rim if defense is cheating too much yeah i, I love his fit with the bench yeah, I mean, that's he's kind of sneaky athletic. Like, he had that transition dunk last year at the end of the season where he got up and, and put one down off two feet that I think surprised all of us. And uh, I, I just really think, I, I know he doesn't bring a whole lot defense, like anywhere else. Like, I understand that. But whenever you're getting to role players and bench guys, like, that's what you want. Like, you want guys that are going to come in and you just can rely. Like, he's going to knock down 40% from three and provide a little bit of juice and all of that. And I just, I, I'm interested. I'm not completely sold. Like, he made a huge jump. Um, last year in the three-point percentage. So I'm interested to see if that's true. Like, if, is that really what he is as a shooter? Did he find his rhythm and his groove? And is that sustainable? Because if not, it changes the narrative a lot, obviously. Um, but I believe in Frank Jackson for sure. So I, I want to move on to another guy I'm super high on. Um, and this one, I think, is a little bit more of a mixed bag for Pistons fans. But Hamadou Diallo, I think he has great potential, a high ceiling. Wes, I'm going to let you start here with Hami Diallo. Um, what are your thoughts on him um, and specifically just this season? What do you think we could see from him assuming, you know, uh, expectedly coming off the bench? I really want to see him uh, take a step just in general, uh, all the way across the board. And I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but he you're right. He has so much potential. He's so athletic. He has a pretty good handle. Uh, he can do a little bit out of a ball screen. He's a great defender, uh, at least on ball. And it, his shot mechanically needs some work, but it, it was getting consistent in some low volume last year. If he could just kind of iron out the rough edges and 
keep playing the way he has, but you know maybe with a little bit more efficiency or maybe add a little bit more uh, on ball, you know, pick and roll creation. Um, if he could do anything like that at a higher volume than he did last year, I, I think that's a big step for him in order to reach the type of player that he could be uh, one day. I love that you brought up the on-ball, uh, you know, initiator in the, like in a screen and roll because I see that in his game, guys, and I know, I feel like I'm out on an island on this one because well, I don't have a lot of point pe- guard, didn't he? Well, it, a little bit. In, o- in Oklahoma City, he averaged four points a game, and whenever I did the exit interview breakdown for the Detroit Bad Boys, I went back and watched some of those games, and there was just a little more of that. You know, he'd grab a board and he would go in transition, and he played in the ball screen, and he can pass the ball, and I just think there's more in that uh, of that in his game than what he showed last season, and I'm just really interested to see how much of that is allowed to play out this season with the Pistons, because you have to imagine that Troy Weaver. You know, probably knows him as good as anybody. So I, I think we'll find out this season whether that's actually there or not. But PF for you, what what do you see in Hami's game? It doesn't have to necessarily be that, but just what would you like to see from Hami this season? Yeah, I mean, I'd echo a lot of what Wes said. Um, I think he's excellent in transition on offense. I think he's a great on-ball defender. Um, for me, if I like, and it's clear the the contract situation that he was given this offseason is like we we like you a lot, but like we want to we want to explore more and like Hami is probably betting on himself as well to be like, yeah, I'm, I can get a better contract long-term than what he, than what we probably offered him this year. Uh, so I, I like that he's betting on himself. For me, the number one thing I want to see him improve on is his patience and comfort in half, in half court settings, uh, specifically with the ball in his hands. Um, I think he got a lot more exposure to that this year. And I think he can do a lot more, especially if a shooting sticks, um, his percentage with us was was just absolutely absurd and an outlier for his career. So I'd just be really curious to see how comfortable he can be in that role. Like, does he have the patience to, um, you know, properly snake PNRs, recognize how he's creating opportunities or what kind of rim pressure he can apply? Um, and yeah, like I I'm I'm very happy with his aggression and how how much he challenge how much pressure he puts on the rim. I really believe I believe in it like I'm kind of sold this is probably one of those where like I'm getting overly biased but I I think it's there I think we're going to see it this year Um, you know like you say snaking ball screens making plays for teammates going in transition and uh, like I say honestly I'm going to be a little disappointed if we don't see him in that role a little bit this year and if he's not successful in it and you know he's a high level rebounder big time athlete and I love what you know you bring up the pressure he puts on the rim not just getting downhill but with those offensive rebounds he has an explosive second jump so as you can tell as you guys the listeners know I'm very high on Hami and expecting a big year from him um, still playing with the second unit yeah, though um, the last player before we move to the what if segment um, where we talk a few uh, about a few different scenarios with this team PF what do you think about Luca Garza man like I feel like this guy I don't even want to say polarizing anymore because I feel like he's the most beloved love Piston all of a sudden but you know I always like to say I, I did a mock draft and took him as an undrafted free agent and I kind of got killed on Pistons Twitter and not a lot of fans happy whenever we drafted him number 52 overall even though it was just a second round pick and now all of a sudden him and his dad Frank have endeared themselves to Detroit and Pistons organization PF what do you think about Luca Garza just as the player in a lot of ways I don't know what to think uh, I know he's an incredible worker like the the work he put into his body from college to summer league was it, it's it's incredible uh the turnaround the impact on his agility and i think the the bigger thing with that is just it shows a commitment that he wants to get better and he wants to improve and it's just 
like it's hard not to love that and especially in a young player um so i i'm you know plus you you saw the effort in summer league like he gets excited about everything he's going to put his body into every defender um so that's that's great to see my biggest qualm and my biggest reservation with him is he he it doesn't seem like he's either willing or like recognizes uh just open you know open players on our team or like opportunities to distribute the ball more like he's very comfortable calling his own number um and i think it's you know sometimes it gets in the way of the flow of the offense so i would love to see him just embrace the team dynamic a little bit more um and i think he could find a great spot like he's shown the willingness to improve so i'm not doubting it's it's going to be some it's going to be part of his development plan but that's definitely something i'm going to keep an eye on that's very interesting i'm glad you brought that up because just sitting here as you're talking about that you know um when i had david aldridge on who was obviously from dc and that's where luca garza went to high school was in the dc area he said he didn't come from like one of those powerhouse high schools in the dc area so i'm assuming and i don't know this for a fact but i'm assuming he put up big numbers as the go-to guy the number one guy then obviously as we know at iowa he was kind of the go-to guy number one option and after you've played that role for so long in your career, sometimes it's hard to adjust and now be a role player. Now, his hard work and his commitment cannot be doubted whatsoever. And if you it, listeners, if you guys get a chance, go listen to the Locked On Pistons episode with Koo. He had Frank Garza on. It was a great interview with lots of great insights. But that, that's a really interesting you know, thing you brought up, PF, because I broke that down in my breakdown for Detroit Bad Boys of Garza Summer League where I thought he could be a little bit better of a distributor. So Wes um, can touch on that a little bit if you, if you saw that as well, and then you can kind of move into Luca Garza's all-around game and what you th- think we may see from him this season. Yeah, no, I think he definitely has uh, potential to be a little bit better of a distributor than he, he was in Summer League or, or at Iowa. I mean, when he starts uh, making – as many shots as he did a couple of those games uh, in the summer league, you know, obviously defenses are going to shift. There's going to be some open lanes where he could hit someone else, and it'd be great to see him hit that uh, hit that pass at least. I definitely agree. I think uh, obviously the the biggest question with him is what everyone's been saying for a while. He sometimes he looks like he's got wet cement in his shoes. Uh, I really would want to see in the G League if he can hold his own as a drop defender. Um, I think Dwayne Casey brought up Brooke Lopez and. Lopez is bigger, longer, and a little bit more athletic, but maybe that's not a bad baseline for him. If he can just be active as a drop defender, that could um, at least be passable, right? He doesn't have to be a good defender. If his offense um, hits the way that, that it could and he becomes a real good shooter and you know develops some decent passing and is an all right finisher, his defense just needs to be passable. So if he could do something like that, that'd be a big step. Um, this kind of might be a little bit of a, a deeper cut. Uh, I don't know. Bryce, if you or PF would remember, but do you guys remember when Josh Harrelson had like a season where he was a good backup five for like, I don't know, 60 games or something in Detroit? He kind of plays a little bit like that to me. That's what it reminds me of watching him play. I I don't remember that. Uh, PF, do you remember that? Uh, I recognize the name, but I do not remember that backup stretch. He he was just an undersized... 
like husky, thick, strong guy who could shoot a little bit and just out hustled everyone, and that was about all he did. Um, and it just—it was just very similar. It was kind of funny watching him. Uh, no, I remember the name, but I don't remember that stretch necessarily. So, um, as a lot of the listeners know, you know, I've kind of been new to the Pistons, uh, you know, bandwagon and all that. So, um, I'll have to look up Josh Harrelson and uh, and and check out that stretch of, of games. But right now, we're going to move to uh, what we're calling the what if segment um this was actually pf and and wes's idea to to do this segment a little bit i think it'll be a lot of fun we have you know we might have to short it in a little bit we may not get to all of them we have about 10 minutes or 15 minutes here to go before we get to around the nba stuff but i want to start off with Caden killing because i think a lot of conversations and even for me has revolved around that this is going to work and and the positivity and when i again when i had david aldridge on he kind of talked like we don't know if it's going to work till we actually see it on the court so here's kind of my specific question to uh, Wes first. What if we're 40 games into the season and this is not working whatsoever? What do the Pistons do? Uh, I think this is going to be kind of a theme for me with with all these what if questions in, in relate in uh, that they relate to the Pistons. I think it's kind of playing with house money this year. Um, you know, both Kate and Killian are, are high lottery picks. They're both very talented. They both are um, very high IQ, high feel NBA players and you know if 40 games in it's not working out well I, I think just based on those credentials alone they deserve at least a year and maybe a couple months into the year after that so I mean if it's not working after 40 games I don't think anything uh, really changes long term uh, maybe you know if it doesn't work for the whole season well then I still think Killian's young enough and has flashed enough where he'd have you know good enough uh, trade value to flip for at least a rotation player um and if not, then, you know, you, you keep trying it out for another half a season and um, see if it works. I mean, it just I think there's no way they lose, even if it goes south uh, halfway through the year uh, with this one. Absolutely. So one thing I've thought about, and I, I wouldn't absolutely hate the idea if it, if it really showing halfway through a year, like you can just tell like, okay, this isn't going to work the way we thought. Cade needs to be on the ball and Killian can't play off the ball or something. I don't hate the idea of moving Killian to the bench. So PF, can you touch on that along with just answering the question in general of, of, of what if that happens? What do you think the Pistons would have to do? Do you, do you see moving Killian to the bench as an option? And if not, what what are the other options to do, or what would you like to see them do? Personally, um, I, to be quite honest with you, I don't see any way it doesn't work out. I think I think Cajun Killian is a great is like we saw in summer league. They were they were tremendous together, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, to be honest, when I was watching them in summer league, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great to get a third person like them? Um, so I I'm very excited about them playing together. However, if it doesn't work out. Um, especially in the short term, like long term, like I, I would c- continue holding on to Killian. I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit to improve his jumper and things like that. But if it doesn't work out in the short term, at least like this season, I will likely be due to uh, Killian's three point shot. So I think there is definitely some like lineup adjustments that we can do. Um, if we want to keep him in the starting five or in the closing unit, I think it's figuring out um, if we want Isaiah Stewart in there as well, or do we want to sub in Kelly Olynyk so that we only have one player on the court who doesn't shoot the three ball well. I think moving Killian to the second unit is definitely a viable option. Um, I think he would he would embrace the pace that Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson would love, would love to play with. 
Um, and I think they also thrive um, off the ball. They love to slash. They love to just, you know, be aggressive and, like, get out in transition. And I think Killian would really vibe with them really well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to move. I'm not trying to move Killian to the bench. So I don't want anybody listening to this to take the wrong way. But I agree. Like, I just think he fits really well with the bench unit. And I think he's going to play a lot with him anyway. Because I do. I'm still a believer they're going to stagger the minutes. Like, him and Cade will start. They'll play six minutes together. Killian will sub out. And then he'll get subbed back in to play kind of as the second unit lead guard. But, you know, it was also brought up. I, I do think there's a lot of chemistry between Killian and Cade. I was there for a few days at Summer League and for that first game. And you could see Cade and Killian before the game, on the bench, just in general. You could kind of see the vibe they have. And I think they both know that it's important they make this work. And they're trying to do everything on and off the court for it to work. Yeah, they were communicating nonstop. They were calling shots for each other. They were, they like, they saw the how the plays would develop at the same time. And, like, it was, it was a joy to watch. Absolutely. So let's, I want to move on to some, just like, I want your guys' perspective of this as a fan, um, just as much as someone who's breaking down the piston. So what if we get through this season and Weaver's team building philosophy all of a sudden doesn't look like it's working and this team is really bad? What would you feel like as a fan if this is another, say, eight, what if this is an 18, 20 win season? Are we okay because, you know, we're back at the top of the lottery? Do you start to waver in, in the, your belief in Troy Weaver? What if this doesn't look like it's continuing in the upward trajectory by the end of this season? Uh, I'm so, oh, my first mess up here with this. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Wes, why uh, Wes, why don't you lead us off with this yeah, one? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I think if uh, it's another really bad year, another you know 21 year, especially with um, playing a full 82, so that would even be a little bit worse than last year, right? I would be as a fan uh, pretty disappointed, uh, just you know, just due to the higher end talent with Cade and. Uh, Jeremy Grant on the roster. You'd think that they would lead to at least a little bit more wins. Um, but if it really does bottom out like that, I, I think I would hope maybe Weaver would attempt to adjust um, depending on what goes wrong. You know, like if it's a rim protection issue or the fact that we don't have any lob threats, uh, if something like that is the real uh, crack that sinks the ship, so to speak. I, I'd wonder if he'd maybe pivot and, and think about adding to some of those holes, at least to patch it up. But, you know, I, it's still so early, and it'd be, as a fan, hard to sit through another 20-win year. But, you know, you're right, it would get another high lottery pick. That would be good for the future. It, it would be um, a little more defensible for one more year. Not to say I'm rooting for it or hoping for it but I think I'd be understanding as a fan absolutely I I think a lot of fans would be understanding but I think right now I think the majority have like bought into Troy Weaver and the organization hook line and sinker they're all in and the belief and I I think it would cause the fans to waver just a little bit PF would you fall in that category or are you all in already and would stay all in like where, where would it put you um, to be honest, I, I've been all in. Um, I, I've, I have high aspirations. I think this is a play-in tournament team um, if they're not making the eighth seed, to be honest. I, I recognize that a lot of teams in the East have also improved, um, but the NBA is also all about staying healthy. If we had, like, if we were healthy and we had a terrible win-loss record, um, I think my, my confidence in Weaver would only shift 
if I didn't see him make adjustments in the offseason. Uh, for example, like I was, I was honestly ecstatic when we got Kelly Olenek. Um, because last year my biggest qualm was like the spacing with the second unit just cost us, uh, maybe not games, but at least the the opportunity to stay competitive in some or maintain our lead. Um, and the spacing was a huge issue with just finding rhythm on offense. So, and Isaiah Stewart is worthy of a starter. So like moving. Uh, Mason Plumley getting Isaiah Stewart in the starting five, getting Kelly Olynyk to bring that spacing uh, that contributes to the strengths of Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson, I think was a move where you look at it and it's like, if you look at him from an external perspective, like he just gave Plumley all this money and just flipped him the next year. And we moved back in the second round to do that, but we did that to make, to put our current guys in better positions to succeed. And, I would look for that kind of commitment next offseason as well. So uh, next couple of ones, because I do want to give you guys a chance to talk some, or all of us a chance to go around the NBA, because I know we've you know done a little work with that too. So let, I'm going to ask these two and maybe just a little quick, you know, it doesn't have to be like one sentence, but a little shorter answer. So you guys kind of alluded to it. So PF, you first. If this Pistons team makes the playoffs, what if this Pistons team makes the playoffs? How will you feel about that? I'd be ecstatic. I'm all about getting young players playing in games that matter. Um, you know, people gave the Orlando Magic a lot of a lot of well bad feelings because like they were pushing for playoffs when, for like first round exits. Uh, it was really tough to see like Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz gets injured before we see him get playoff minutes. But I think it, it's it's so important for a young player's development because then you got coaches game planning around a small eight-man rotation typically and like really focusing on taking away your strengths and highlighting your weaknesses and if we're talking about getting the most out of Killian getting the most out of Cade Cunningham Sadiq Bey Isaiah Stewart I would love to see how they react to being game planned against um, and more importantly I think the competitive spirit of our team is just great I, I think we could really give any team in the east a run for their money in a seven game series uh, that's a great point and as you talk about that the, my initial think thought goes to Julius Randle who kind of I don't want to say he got exposed but like saw a whole different defense against him in that in that series and it's going to be now that gave him an off season to improve and get better and so that's a great point because regular season and playoff defenses are different so Caden may look really good but let's get him in the playoffs as soon as possible possible to see how teams are going to defend him and let him see where he's going to have to continue to grow his game but Wes here real quick what 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 if the Pistons make the playoffs what is your reaction oh I'd be ecstatic too I think it would mean that uh, the teams ahead of schedule and probably the the most likely uh, route to the playoffs would be Cade overperforming even to our own expectations for him right now and I mean that would be um Fantastic! If he has that incredible rookie year, he carries the team all the way to the playoffs. And, you know, like PF said, they get all the playoff minutes, um, see how they perform in more of a slower pace, more of a methodical half-court offensive set. Uh, I think any way you cut it, that's really great news and something to be very excited about. Absolutely. So one last one, and again, just give me – you know, your quick answer here before we go around the NBA, and it can be, you know, the guy – 
get via trade, draft, free agency, whatever it is. What if the number two option isn't on the roster right now? So, I mean, I've said this before. None of this really matters if Cade isn't, doesn't turn into the number one guy. So we're assuming Cade becomes the number one guy. Wes, what if the number two guy is not currently on the roster? It's not Killian. It's not Sadiq. It's not Hami. It's none of those guys. Where does the number two guy come from? Down the road. Down the, I'm not saying obviously not this year, but down the road. Uh, I think it's um, probably this upcoming offseason or next. There are some younger uh, up-and-coming guys that would be either hitting free agency or uh, hitting a point in their career where maybe you could see them asking for a trade. Uh, I think Jalen Brown's been mentioned before. Um, that could be a possibility in a couple of years. I think Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, this upcoming offseason, could be a restricted free agent. That, I think, would be a great get he still has a lot of potential he'd be a good fit next to Isaiah Stewart because Stewart could cover up for some of his strength concerns um I think if it's becoming clear after this year that you know that guy is not on the roster then you could start to see something like that either this offseason or next PF same question that the guy number two guy is not on the roster what if that's the truth where where do where does Troy Weaver in this organization find him yeah, I thought Wes had a great answer. We have a lot of cast face coming up. I, I love the idea of Jaron Jackson Jr. here. Um, if we swing out in, if we, yeah, if we swing out in free agency, I think a trade is always on the table. Um, you know, if, if our number two is, like you said, if our number two guy is not on the roster, that means Killian and Sadiq and Isaiah Stewart aren't it. I could see us packaging one of them with Jeremy Grant and just like getting a bona fide like legit star to put next to Cade um like you know people have been talking about Jeremy Grant trades and like we've we've referenced it like what if he might want out or something like that um I don't I don't see us moving him for multiple pieces I see us packaging him similar to how Toronto did with uh DeMar DeRozan like packaging him with the first and others to get their guy yeah, that, and that's what I do think there's a real possibility that eventually not all these young guys, this young core actually sticks together, um, depending on the development and what they see, because I'm not sure the number two guy's there. And if it's not, then I, I kind of wonder if it doesn't end up having to be a trade. So um, we got about 10 minutes left, guys. So we're going to go around the NBA real quick. And, and the first thing we're going to talk about is the move that each of us, that was the most interesting to us. It can be a, in a positive or negative way. Um, mine was about the Chicago Bulls and just thinking that they did a lot of stuff, made a lot of moves to still not be one of the top four or five teams in the East. I talked about this when Eli Bashi was on and he gave us his way too early standings predictions. Um, he did a great job with that and it was fun to talk about that. But that would kind of be the one that interested me the most is I feel like they did a lot of stuff this offseason and I'm still not sure it really put them as a championship contender. Wes, I'm gonna let you start with you or I'm gonna let you start. Um, you were pretty adamant about this one. So I'm kind of interested to see because I don't really know where you're going with this. Um, but I'm excited to hear it. So, um, Wes, what is your kind of the, the off season that interested you the most? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll keep it short, too, because I know you guys have done uh, quite a bit on the Wizards so far uh, already this offseason on the podcast. But um, it's specifically Denny Avdia um, in that, you know, they had Beal, they had Westbrook last year. 
lost Westbrook, but got back uh, Dinwiddie and a couple other ball handlers. I'm just, uh, I was a big fan of Denny when he was coming out of the draft, and I'm very, very disappointed in how the Wizards have been utilizing him because there was really only one reason that you ought to have drafted Denny Avdia, and that's because he was a big guy who had very good court vision and looked like he could have a lot of potential as a pick-and-roll ball handler. And what have they been doing? They've almost exclusively been playing him off ball and sticking him next to those high-usage guys like Beal, Westbrook, and then even sometimes Ish Smith last year. And then now it's going to be Dinwiddie again. Um, so, you know, when, when you draft a guy like that, why, uh, why, why do you stick him in the corner and force him to shoot? You draft a guy who's got the potential to be a big guard. Like, you need to play him like that or at least see if he could do it. And they haven't been. And uh, I've been pretty disappointed in that. I, I think personally I had him uh, behind Edwards and LaMelo Ball that year in the draft. So I've been uh, disappointed in that situation. That's Hey, here's what I think just needs to happen because I'm a huge Daniel Gafford fan. So I think we just need to find a trade with the Wizards where we can bring both of those guys to town because you, you've got me <laughs> – You've got me a little bit excited about Danny Alvia here, so let's get him and Gafford over to Detroit. I don't know what we have to send in return, but let's bring both of those guys. And um, I know I do feel like the the, the Wizards offseason in general has been interesting to me. So we have talked about it again. Um, you know, David Aldridge is from the D.C. area, so when he came on, we talked exclusively about the Wizards during this segment. Um, so, Pistons fans, I'm sorry. I promise no more Wizards talk um, for the rest of the offseason. But <laughs> That's my PF, fault. I want to, <laughs> no, you're good. It's all good, Wes. I know you wanted to talk about it, so it's all good. So, uh, PF, what was the offseason that, that kind of interested you the most? Uh, I, I kind of know where you're going with this, and, and I think it's fun and it's exciting that you're going to bring these teams up, or at least one of these two. So. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thrilled to see. Um, well, I don't know if "thrilled" is the right word. I was very surprised to see Sharif Cooper drop in the draft, um, and I thought Atlanta had a just two steals in Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. Um, I thought they're perfect, amazing fits for Atlanta. I think they're going to be great contributors to them. Uh, I think down the road, if John Collins doesn't end up being the person or the player they expect him to be. Uh, Jalen Johnson has that potential to be a great fit next to Trey. Um, so I love their offseason for them. And then one, the team that had me scratching my head was Memphis. Um, when they traded Jonas Valanciunas, they moved up in the draft, but also took on money for Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. Um, and JV, JV is just, Jonas Valanciunas, he's just such a good starter. Um, he was a great release valve. Uh, for Jean Moran and Sharon Jackson Jr. when he played. And I think I think they're going to miss him a lot this year. Um, I know they got Zaire Williams. Um, I think he's going to be a good fit for them. But it feels like they're taking a step back from this year. And I don't, I don't enjoy teams doing that when they have young budding stars on their roster. No, interesting. I, like I said, I was really excited for you guys, for you to, to bring those two teams up. Those aren't two teams that we've talked a lot about here on the podcast. And so I was glad we, you know, you were going to bring in that analysis of both of their off seasons. So before we go here, guys, and this has been awesome, man. I've had a, uh, had a blast. I've had a lot of fun. Let's talk favorites in each conference. So uh, we have enough time here. We don't have to rush through it. Um, uh, just as it stands right now, I don't say I don't. You don't have to say this is your finals prediction, okay? Um, but just who do you think are the best rosters? Who are the best teams? So let's just go one by one, and I'll start off, and we'll go um, in the East first, and then we'll go to the West. So in the East, 
I'm going to go with the Brooklyn Nets. I kind of want to go with the reigning champs, um, but I think it's hard to say that the Brooklyn Nets, when healthy, don't have the best roster. Wes, um, who would be, as we stand right now, who would be your best team in the West? Or sorry, in the East? I think it would be the Nets, um, but the Bucks can really push them uh, pretty well. I mean, if you look at their, their top three guys, right? I mean, the, the Bucks match up against uh, Kyrie Harden and KD uh, about as well as anyone can, one-to-one with Drew Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis. So I definitely want to say the Nets because they're just so talented and have uh, such great top-end guys. But the Bucks can make a push. Um, but I reserve the right to change my mind. So the Nets. <laughs> uh, PF, what about you? I, I also believe it's the Nets. I actually think they got even better from last year, and they entered the playoffs um, without a lot of playing time shared between Kyrie, KD, and Harden uh, because of injuries. Um, they came really, really close to beating the Bucks last year, um, and I think, quite honestly, I, I think they're the best team in the East this year. So real quick, and I'm kind of putting you guys on the spot. I didn't put this on the outline, so if you don't have an answer, because I don't know that I have one in the East, but is there a surprise team for either of you guys in the East, a team that you really think um, you know, maybe could make a little run at the Nets or the Bucks at the top? Um, somebody's, a team maybe somebody's not talking about right now? Do either of you have one of those? I think Philadelphia can still be in the conversation. Okay, so that's the team I thought about. Like, I feel like everybody's sleeping on them, and, and I understand why. And this Ben Simmons thing has to get figured out. Um, whether it's Simmons or whether it's a trade, I don't know how they're going to get the right value in that trade. But that's a team I feel like nobody's talking about anymore. Philly, Philly came to mind first, but like, I have no idea what their roster will look like after the, after the trade deadline. Um, but if it's not them, it's Miami. I think like Miami's just always a wild card, especially when you get to the playoffs. It just seems like all of their players and their culture thrive in that environment. Um, I know Jimmy but- Butler had an off year last year, but I think like I don't think you could ever count out players of their yeah, caliber. Miami could just be the most annoying team in the playoffs for whoever <laughs> plays them. They're going to give someone seven yeah. games of hell. And Bam Adebayo can take another step as well. So. I didn't love their offseason. I'm not a huge Kyle Lowry fan, but I agree with you guys. I think if, if things come together, you know, that's a team that can be really, really dangerous. So to finish up, let's go to the West. Again, I'll stop. Start. Gosh, dang, I'm sorry. I'll start with the West. Um, and I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the Phoenix Suns right now. And I'm probably just doing this because I'm not a huge Lakers fan. And so I'm probably wrong. But I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, you know, they kind of bringing the band back together. And so I'm going to stand by that. PF, I'll let you go second here. Who do you have in the West? I have the Denver Nuggets in the West. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I I still I still love them. Um, I I still love uh, Nikola Jokic. I like the comp the forward combination of Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. I think that just works really really well. Um, it, it it sucks so much to see Jamal Murray get hurt right before the playoffs. Um, and yeah, I just believe in them. I feel like they they want it so bad. Like they are hungry. Um, I think Michael Porter Jr. takes another step this year, and I think it's going to be lethal. Awesome. Wes, what about you? I actually agree. I was going to say the uh, Denver Nuggets and uh, Jamal Murray coming back and being healthy allows Aaron Gordon to step back into that um, you know, third or fourth role where he was a little bit more successful. Um, and you know, I, So I think the Nuggets are just a little bit more talented than the Suns. And then I just 
there's so many questions with how the Lakers are going to fit and work as a team. Um, at this point, I think it, I'd go with Denver too. No, that's very interesting. The Lakers, I think there are enough legitimate questions about you know how everything's going to come together there. Um, they've made a lot of moves. You know, they've really turned over that roster. Obviously, the top end talent, like we said, with the Nets and some other teams, is there. But it'll be interesting to see how everything else is pieced together. Sort of again, uh, a surprise team. Maybe it's some other team in the West. Um, you know, I don't know if we could say the Jazz, you know, they finished, you know, as the one seed. I don't know if you could say they're a surprise team, but is there a team in the West you kind of like that maybe people aren't going to talk about as much, you know, or that we haven't mentioned so far? Does Dallas count? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think uh, Luca could keep taking more steps forward and getting even better than he is. If Porzingis can be a uh, above average rotation center, uh, instead of what he was last year in the playoffs, I think they can make a push and be interesting. PF, you have one? Yeah, I was quite honestly, like I've been uh, quite annoyed with Portland over the last couple of years for like not taking steps to like build uh, or get better role players next to CJ and Dame. Um, but I was very happy with actually their most recent transaction with Chicago and Cleveland where they brought in Larry Nance Jr. I think he's going to be a great fit for them. I think at this point it's just like can Yusuf Nurkic stay healthy and if they if he can I'd be excited to see how well they can perform in the playoffs. Awesome. Mine's the Warriors and I think it you know there's a lot of x factors and a lot of unknowns there. The health of Clay Thompson obviously, James Wiseman even and you know how those two young rookies play and are able to contribute, but I think the Warriors um you know ha- have a real chance to make some noise this year. So that's going to finish us up for this episode, episode 50. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to have got to episode 50. Like, this has been incredible. I can't even believe it. And I'm, I'm just so glad I was able to be joined by Wes and, and Pistons fanalists to do this. I had a blast. So, Wes, thank you so much. I just want to give you a chance. Let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, any other social media, and any content you may be putting out. Yeah, well, uh, on Twitter, it's uh, at the real D 3 but I really don't have anything to, to plug and honestly nothing really to promote. I just, I really appreciate you having me on. I hope everyone keeps listening to the Motor City Hoops podcast. I think, Bryce, you're doing an awesome job. I love listening, and uh, that guest list has been incredible. So I think this show's uh, in line for really great things. And like I said, I'm just so appreciative that, you had me on the show. I had a great time. Uh, wishing you all the success in the future. And uh, thank you. You helped me check something off my bucket list, talking uh, Pistons on a, on a great podcast. Nah, man, you were awesome. I appreciate it very much. Uh, Pistons fanalist, um, same thing. You know, we'll give, a, give everybody a chance to, to follow you, find you on social media, and, and anything you're putting out there. Yeah, my Twitter handle is Pistons fanalist. Um, I'll be writing for Roll Call Sports Network this year. Um, don't know how much I'll be writing, but I'll definitely be. I'm hoping to do like weekly recaps and ideally uh, one article a month. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but again, congrats to you on making it to 50 episodes. I think this has been, I've had a lot of fun tonight. Uh, recording this um, and I can't wait to see what's next for you. No, absolutely. And congrats on that job with Roll Call. That I know some of the guys over there, obviously, and, and I know they're very, very high on you and your work. So that's congratulations on that. And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Motor City Hoops podcast each week. Some days I wake up and just cannot believe I have this platform to share my thoughts, insights, and analysis, analysis on the Pistons and NBA. And the support from all of you is humbling and overwhelming, but very much appreciated. The schedule of the podcast is 
little off right now based on the availability of my guests. So look for the next episode to drop Wednesday when I will be joined by Jake Fisher from Bleacher Report. That's going to be one you do not want to miss. Again, a big thank you to Wes and at Pistons Fanalyst, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.